0: This is FemPower Power Health. Each week, top women's health experts dispel fact from fiction. The most important pelvic floor exercise is not the Kegel, starts now. While
1: well, that was great that they specifically stated that you know, pain during sex and menopause are allowed, which it's amazing it took so much work and resources to fight for that revision, there's still areas that are missing. So they state that their policy says that ads related to pleasure are not allowed. One question you'd ask is, okay, then why are you explicitly saying erectile dysfunction drugs are allowed? It's sort of ignoring that Erectile dysfunction drugs help a man have an orgasm, which helps someone have pleasure. Um, and yet, they specifically called out uh, products that are banned that have to do with pleasure that we know are disproportionately used by women.
0: Welcome to FemPower Health. Georgie here. Did you know that ads related to your sexual health and reproductive health, if you are a person with a vulva, have been banned? However, this has not been the case when it comes to men's sexual health. So today, I bring to you Jackie Rotman, who is the founder of the Center for Intimacy Justice. And she will talk to us about the impact to all of our well being when such ads are banned changes that have taken place thus far, and what still needs to be done. She is one impressive lady who has had such an impact in this space, and you will learn so much and feel incredibly empowered after this conversation but this is truly an episode we all need to listen to because it does have widespread effects if we do not continue with the momentum she's already created so let's take a listen to the impressive Jackie Rodman Jackie I had the absolute honor to meet you face to face finally after hearing so many people talking about the great work of your organization and you gave one of the most incredible talks I've seen about women's health and all the changes that still need to be made in areas that a lot of people probably aren't even aware of. And this was at the Women's Health Innovation Summit in Boston at the end of September, and we're in 2022 for those who might be listening to this years later. So why don't you first start out by telling us who you are and what the Center for Intimacy Justice does.
1: Thank you so much for having me, and I'm so honored to hear your words about that summit where we got to meet face-to-face. I lead the Center for Intimacy Justice, which I founded after interviewing many entrepreneurs. I was meeting women and non-binary entrepreneurs who were starting and leading businesses to help solve a variety of different problems in people's lives, from pain during sex to vaginal dryness during menopause to challenges experiencing sexual pleasure and so many other sexual and reproductive health areas that they were fighting for improvements on. And when I started talking with these entrepreneurs about four or five years ago, every single one of the Women and non-binary leaders I spoke with said that they were being blocked by the most important advertising channels and that the advertising barriers were the biggest, for many of them, barrier holding back their businesses. So we started the Center for Intimacy Justice to specifically work on changing – and this is our first of many different issue areas. We'll go on to others in the future, but we've been focused on tech platforms where their policies and or algorithms are censoring health information, uh, particularly health information for those who have vulvas. And we've been working on that and, and have had a lot of great successes this year. But our goal is to catalyze and open up the market for female sexual health by removing the barriers in entrepreneurs' way, particularly digital discrimination that blocks their growth and prevents them from being able to help people. And I've been – about my background, I've been a social entrepreneur since I was 14. I started my first nonprofit at that time in dance education for young people. I've worked in the women's rights fields and other spaces. And I started Center for Intimacy Justice during my MBA at Stanford. I also did a joint degree in public policy and became incredibly passionate about this space in the last five or six years. Wow. Well, you are certainly
0: making a lot of headway. But before we dive into some of your successes, let's really paint that picture because at the summit, you shared fascinating data. And I actually looked and your slides are not available. And so we need to figure out a way to help, um, again, give a platform to all the information that you've been able to collect. So maybe you could just verbalize that for us here. And for anyone who wants to see the data, I know you also have it on your website, um, which I'll reference in the show notes. But let's paint that picture of what people can see on social media, um, i.e. those without vulvas, um, and what they
1: can't see. So paint that picture for us, please. Definitely. So I'm thinking about whether to start with the ones you can or can't see. So um, ads that have been allowed since 2017, there's many different ads for male sexual health that are allowed. When we started to see examples of ads that are blocked, an example might look like a, a woman going for a jog with the words reclaim your freedom. And it's an ad to talk with, you know, there's ads to talk with your doctor about your menopause symptoms that Facebook rejects considering it adult products or sexual. Or there's an ad by a company called Own that says it takes – three and a half years to sail around the world, but seven to 10 years to get an endometriosis diagnosis. That ad was considered adult products by Facebook. And so they're classifying many different um, ads for people with vulvas they're considering to be adult. And whether it's purposeful or algorithmic, it's having a massive, massive impact. We interviewed or surveyed 60 businesses in that space in 2011, uh, 2021, published the results in January 2022. And of the 60 businesses we talked to that had attempted to advertise on Instagram or Facebook, 100% of them had an ad rejected, 100% of them. And 50% of them at some point had their entire ad account suspended where they, they, they couldn't even access their account at all. That was half. So this was stifling their ability to help us, to help other women, to help people who needed their information and products and wisdom and entrepreneurial courage and innovation. And yet, when we look at ads that have been allowed, in 2017, HIMS and Roe were both created and started to raise money. They raised money at large valuations. These were two startups that were started to address erectile dysfunction, which is so important and you know is an important area of male sexual health, they were allowed to advertise very early on through relationships at Facebook that made that possible, and it opened up the door for their other competitors. So the ads that they're getting through, some of them say things like, get hard or get your money back. Those are allowed. Or there's videos of, you know, banging against a bed and it's like a banana to get some pill to to get hard, which a lot of people are using for health reasons. Other people are using, you know, for different reasons. So there's a huge gender inequity, and that's just the gender piece. There's also marginalization of ads for LGBTQ people or other types of identities that are also disproportionately impacted by this digital discrimination and censorship. So that's a little bit of the picture of what's happening. We started our research with Meta. We're now hearing extensively about TikTok censorship and other platforms that don't allow ads, and in the case of TikTok, um, censor and take down content about Everything from menstrual health, fertility, contraception, and so menopause and so many other areas. So that's what we're working to change.
0: Oh my goodness. Now there was also a huge win that I think occurred fairly recently. Who I can't remember which company it is, Meta? but they were they couldn't advertise on the MTA. Remember yeah, that? Yes, yes. 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 Tell that. us that story. Because that's one win. Because now we're talking yeah. about the impact, but I just want to celebrate one one win. And there's a few others that I want to discuss. But I just I just came to my mind when you were talking about hymns, because I think it had to do with hymns.
1: Yeah. So if you took the subway around 2018, you know, the other second or, and also 2019, you used to see these massive, massive cactuses where it would be like you would walk 30 feet, and they would even have a cactus that was like 30 feet long while you're walking in the subway. Those were ads for erectile dysfunction drugs, and there were some other you know, Tasteful, E.T. Drugs by by Roe, another company. And so there were these huge ads by those companies in New York City when you take the subway. And yet it actually goes back. The first time I know of a female sexual health brand being blocked was by even before Dame. There was a company called Thinks that was creating – Grapefruit uh, ads, and it was for uh, a menstrual health product, and they were not allowed because the grapefruit was considered obscene, and it was representing um, <laughs> <all> blah blah blah, <laughs> and that was for menstrual health. <laughs> so, Thinx fought the Subways. Uh, Mickey Agrawal, one of their founder, their founder is was fought that along with their team, and then then in 2017, Unbound, uh, a vibrator and sexual wellness company. Let- Created a campaign called WTF MTA about their ads being banned. So there had been this history and, and partnership among these companies. And then finally in 2019, Al Fine and the team at Dame, Al was is one of the founders, decided we're gonna sue the MTA. And they sued them on free speech ground. The MTA is the name of the subway system in New York City. They sued them on free speech grounds and also other grounds because it's a public tax funded MTA system. So they did have you know they could have those free speech um, claims that you could that was different with a private company like Facebook. And after a uh, over two year legal battle, they did reach an, a settlement with the MTA in which they were allowed to advertise. And so that was you know hard fought and took a lot of courage and resources and bravery. And the team at Dame spoke out about the cultural changes that were needed and the double standards toward pleasure for people with vulvas. But it still wasn't as big of a victory as they, as Owl and their team wanted. Um, one thing is they had to really tame down the ads, so they were these abstract images, whereas the first ads had pictures of these beautiful clitoral vi- or clitoral vibrators that were very much more clear about what they were for and talked about the statistics and the orgasm gap um, between people with vulvas and those without. So the first ads I loved and. still got their ads through but they were this abstract art where if i didn't know what dame was even i wouldn't have known that it was about pleasure and also al like the dame team actually really wanted even their competitors to be allowed to advertise which speaks so much to the industry and how much we care about this mission and the force of moving all women and people with vulvas forward that they they literally wanted their competitors to be allowed to advertise not just them They fought for that as far as I understand, but they were only able to get ads through for their specific company that sued the subway, and it was only for one quarter. Beyond that, there weren't any promises. So, you know, it took a a two-and-a-half-year legal battle to get those ads through about female pleasure that didn't talk about pleasure or show the product, but were still a huge, incredible, and hard-fought, courageous fight. But it still stopped short of what we all want, where we want to see our pleasure normalized, and seen as a healthy, positive part of society, if women are experiencing sexual joy and well-being and fulfillment, that is great. <laughs> and yet the MTA doesn't see it that way.
0: One thing I was thinking about is recently I um, I used to use Shopify. I'm actually um, not going to be using it anymore, not because Shopify isn't great, but um, I'm using um, – it's just not what I need to be doing uh, for Fempower Health. But nonetheless, I remember I was creating – Um, a page for the menstrual health um, books and stuff that I recommend. Mm. And so I needed a visual Mm. and I found this picture on Canva and um, I downloaded it to create the little Shopify image or image for Shopify. And I was uploading it and I'm like, why is it not uploading? I kept uploading it and, you know, hitting submit. I'm like all the other things I'm creating today are uploading. And it wasn't an obscene image. It was just, I think it was, a woman holding a rose in front of her belly. I, I don't know. Mm. Um, and I had to change the image because I finally realized when I changed the image, it could upload. Wow! And yet there's all these other crazy things that we see in our society that are allowed. So I don't understand what's going on here. So a question I do have for you is currently what are the limitations? Because for example, I know you've been talking specifically about ads and I hadn't really thought about it until I was preparing for this interview. But I see social posts that are allowed, but not necessarily. It, so it's posts are fine and not the ads, or is there something in between? Because I even heard hashtags like breastfeeding is getting blocked. People are now having to call it chest feeding. Oh my God. So how widespread is this? And I know you can't research any and every Thing possible, but again, just painting the picture so women understand what's being hidden
1: yeah, from uh, us. Totally, and framing that framing about what's being hidden from us is—you know—we're not able to access information that would affect our our lives. It differs for different platforms. So okay. what we under, and so Meta is a little bit different than TikTok and a little bit different from Google and Amazon is its own game. And we'll be creating another report in 2023 that will talk about multiple platforms in greater detail. Whereas the first one we really wanted to be super clear about Meta because that was a critical piece to change. So with Meta, it's more common. And when I say Meta, I mean both Facebook and Instagram when it comes to ads. It's more common that they'll take that they'll reject ads entirely and advertising accounts. They they have a bit of a higher standard for ads than they do for user organic content. So, okay, I have not heard as much of Meta. If you, if I post something from my personal page, and actually I have had some posts taken down from my personal page. It's likely because they thought it was spam. What, they, what happens with the organic posts is more commonly they'll shadow ban the organic posts rather than take the whole post down. So a company might be having tons of success or a, a content creator, an educator might be having tons of success with a lot of organic posts and then they just notice that their posts stop being seen because they're not really showing up in the algorithm. So that's what people call shadow banning where it's blocking the reach of who can see them but it doesn't necessarily take down the entire post whereas ads will be rejected. With TikTok, we're about to start more in-depth interviews the end of 2022, but we're hearing that TikTok will just take down user-generated content, um, which is really scary because it's it's not just advertisers. It's, you know, if, if somebody wants to post something about period education, that can be completely taken down when they're just anyone, any part of anywhere in the world. So with TikTok, the censorship is with both organic user-generated content and ads. And then it's a little bit different for Google. Amazon, it's certain products, including Kegels or dilators, they can hide where people can only see them if they go to the sexual wellness store. But if you type in certain products in Amazon, you can't even see what you're looking for because it's hidden and you wouldn't know where to go. So each platform is a little bit different. For Facebook, We started with a focus on ads, but we'll be also publishing research about how censorship and digital discrimination affects us in different ways on different platforms. Do you
0: know, I guess, what areas that they're specifically blocking? So I believe in the recent article about the change Facebook did make, it also speaks about reproductive health. And so that just made me think, is it just sexual wellness or is it also certain aspects of other areas that aren't related
1: to sexual wellness? It's definitely broader than sexual wellness. There's three categories. There's three different policies we've talked about that reproductive health sometimes gets classified in the political ads category because it's seen as Facebook can tag it as a political issue. They've also done that with LGBTQ related ads. So there might be an ad for a parade or an event that's supporting LGBTQ rights. And Facebook can classify that as political and have limitations. So yes, yeah, so abortion is the one health area when that we've seen be in the political category in addition to other categories. The rest of them we usually see in one of two categories. Uh, most are in the adult products and services category for Facebook. So that's the policy that Facebook is blocking them under. And that one has to do with what they see as sexual content. The other one is the nudity policy. And that one – is what we see as a reason for banning information about breastfeeding or lactation. There might be a medical simulator that's a simulator that's being sold to help teach how to, how to lactate, basically, how to breastfeed. And those ads can get miscategorized as nudity or even a medical diagram about the uterus that educates people can get classified as nudity. But aside of nudity and, pol- and the political category that sometimes applies to abortion, most of the ads fall under adult products. which is just anything Facebook sees as having to do with sex or sexuality. And I can talk about the recent updates they've made where they added a lot of new language. Um, but, but many different ads get blocked there. there are, those are the three ones we see most commonly.
0: Okay. So do tell us about what you've seen with this update.
1: So we've seen progress. The years that I've been working on this, I've probably been looking at Facebook's ad policy frequently since 2018, if not earlier, if not 2017. And I have only ever seen one little modification. They made a modification probably around 2020. Until recently, I'd only seen one little modification. They they added an example about vaginal dryness saying that products to address vaginal dryness were allowed. And I think that was after some articles about menopause ads being blocked that I know were sent to to Sheryl Sandberg and Facebook's leadership. I know they saw those articles. So there was some small, small edit, but all of a sudden in early October, we went to check the page and we saw that they had added, it it used to be 120 word policy. They'd added entirely new words that were 180 words. So now Three-fifths of the policy is new language, and it explicitly said sexual health and wellness ads, as well as reproductive health ads, are allowed. That's Facebook's stated policy. What's actually happening in practice doesn't necessarily match that, but the stated policy now is that these ads are supposed to be allowed. The word wellness was added newly. It didn't used to talk about sexual wellness ads being allowed, and it was clear that reproductive health ads were allowed, not just sexual health. So that was exciting to see a bit of rewording and how that was written. It said that those ads needed to apply to people 18 and up, which has been concerning for some people, especially selling a menstrual health products because, you know, people go through puberty many years before 18 where they could be getting information. And there were other concerns about the 18 and plus aspect, particularly for, for that area of menstrual health and other types of health needs that are earlier. The other thing that Facebook did in this revision or this addition of words is they spelled out about seven categories that are allowed. Two of those were erectile dysfunction and premature ejaculation drugs, which they had already been allowing. We all knew those were being allowed, but now they explicitly added it, um, which I'll talk more about. Then they also added uh, wording on products to address menopause. Pain during sex, uh, addressing pain during sex, those ads are now allowed. Sex education ads are now allowed. And then they said family planning, contraception, and other reproductive health ads are allowed. So it was also very interesting because many of the ads they said are allowed were the exact same ads that were in our Center for Intimacy Justice report uh nine months prior to us seeing this change. So we gave examples of sex ad, we gave examples of menopause, we gave examples of pain during sex. Those were the examples we listed and they they used the exact same examples of what was allowed, which was exciting for us to see perhaps, you know, likely the research played a role in informing that. And there were many more examples that we had, um, they just used the ones that we had put visually in our report, although there's, you know, hundreds of other types of ads that were in our research in our aggregate data. So the other piece is that while that was great that they specifically stated that you know, pain during sex and menopause are allowed, which it's amazing it took so much work and resources to fight for that revision, um, there's still areas that are missing. So they state that their policy says that ads related to pleasure are not allowed. One question you'd ask is, okay, then why are you explicitly saying erectile dysfunction drugs are allowed? It's sort of ignoring that erectile dysfunction drugs help a man have an orgasm, which helps, um, helps you know, someone have pleasure, um, and yet they specifically called out uh, products that are banned, that have to do with pleasure, that we know are disproportionately used by women and by people with vulvas. So there's still a difference and certainly a bias in how the policy is worded, and many people believe that sexual wellness and well-being and joy should be allowed, not just pain but it is a positive step. And one of our positions is that because Meta is now saying that ads to address uh, menopause, which can include lubrication and ads to address pain during sex, they're saying that those are now allowed. And we know that vibrators have hugely beneficial effects, both on preventing pain during sex and on supporting lubrication and other aspects of sexual function. So we're taking the position that under this new policy, vibrators should be allowed with the existing wording. And let's just focus on their health benefits. And that's how we are encouraging this policy to be executed. And we'll be writing more about that. So that was very in-depth, but that's a little bit about the new policy. There are some improvements, but still a lot to do to ensure that it's actually enforced and that really important products like vibrators are included in this change.
0: consumer sector of women's health. Visit www.femtechconsumerinnovation.com to view the superstar speaker lineup and enter code FEMPOWER15 for 15% off your ticket. Hope to see you there. And you know, again, kudos to all the efforts that you all have done. I can only imagine because the uh, when you gave your speech, this policy was not in place. Yeah, I, was a and then, before. <laughs> I know. And you and I were talking um, about having you on the podcast. I'm like, oh my God, we need to get you on and get this published ASAP. Yeah. So <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. It's probably been, it's probably been very busy, but you know what, what I also, I want to paint this picture and, and tell me if this is accurate or not. So you know, I've interviewed now well over 80 guests on the FemPower Power Health podcast. We've covered every single topic. And, you know, they're not necessarily in isolation, even though we treat a lot of these things in isolation. So like, for example, I'm thinking of pelvic health. And there could be, you know, other areas that could be impacted in ways we may not think. The different health issues in in women's health aren't isolated or people with vulvas, I should say. They're not isolated. They kind of all flow together. So for example, when you hit menopause, you um, can have prolapse just because of the hormonal changes. Mm -hmm. Same thing with after giving birth. And so it impacts your sexual function and it can impact a lot of other things. And so the pelvic floor just gets weaker. And you need like the vibrator um, Mm. or even these pelvic floor strengthening devices that you can use at home, or you can go to a pelvic floor specialist who can help you and you would need ads for that as well. And so it's not just sexual health, but I almost feel like anything that could even look like from an image, a sex product, but it's more for these other aspects could also be Banned possibly. Is that mm. correct? Like, it's not just a parallel of it's exactly this, therefore, this is banned. I feel like there's like this downstream impact of the products that, you know, have
1: a wider reach in supporting our health. Definitely. It's very far reaching, not just related to like the act of sex. What we found, yes. Is, and I should have, I could make that clear. What we found is that. If it has to do with a vulva or a uterus or our reproductive or uh, like those organs, then it's subject to this censorship. If it has anything to do with a vulva, a vagina, there's a lot of censorship and also breasts um, when it comes to breastfeeding and breast health or cancer survivors who have had breast cancer. Though all of anything to do with that anatomy, we've found falls into this. There could be examples besides those body parts that I talked about. So most of the ads in our research are actually not about sexual pleasure um, or actually products that you would use while having sex. There are many different areas of health beyond that that have to do with um, those body parts that are being blocked and censored where the algorithms can't tell the difference between those health products that Facebook is even stating are meant to be allowed, and it's written, stated, you know, and revised updated policy in practice, if it has to do with, with vulvas or uh, other areas, then it is very subject and at risk to censorship. And we've seen most of those products um, and information be censored.
0: Now, do you think – so as you were talking, I wrote down the word algorithm because I wanted to make sure we discussed this. So – while while it is true, there are certain things we want to monitor and make sure that we're mindful of getting out into the public, especially for those under 18. I'm wondering if a lot of this is also rooted in the lack of full understanding with women's health. I mean, what, 10, 10 years ago when I started my fertility journey, gosh, it's been maybe longer than that um, now. And like, just even then, the public eye discussing fertility was a big deal. And you couldn't even say the word period without people losing their mind. And now we all talk about it and we see people on social media, but if we all don't even have a full understanding of how women's bodies work, the Mm -hmm. research isn't there. Could that also be impacting the algorithm? Cause I'm just thinking it's 2022 Facebook's been around a while I work in my day job in um, the biopharmaceutical industry with a lot of tech folks who are building algorithms for different things. And, you know, there's a lot that you can put in there. So Mm -hmm. is the issue that the root of all the data that we need isn't there for them to effectively
1: write algorithms? It's even in the, what you're, yeah, what you're saying is so insightful. And there are a lot of ways that the lack of understanding about our health is affecting the policies as well as the algorithms. One example is with Amazon. I've talked to companies that sell Kegels and dilators, which dilators support with all kinds of vulvodynia or all kinds of uh, health issues that cause pain and Kegels uh, have to do with a lot of different pelvic floor health topics. And when Amazon rewrote a new policy that was effective September 23rd, 2022, they gave uh, I believe that they included Kegels or one of those products in the categories that it banned for the when it was describing products that are inserted into the human body parts and have to talk about and have to do with sexual stimulation. I said that in a little bit different words, but basically they were considering these products like Kegels um, to be about sexual stimulation when that's actually not what they're even for. But it seems that there's this bias against a product that goes inside of a vagina. So that lack of understanding is impacts the actual policy because who wrote that? And they don't realize that there's some entrepreneur in Florida who is going to probably have to, you know, might have to like move her whole warehouse into her smaller, into a home and downsize her home in order to keep her business alive, to keep serving people who have vulvodynia because somebody at Amazon doesn't know what Her product does and has a huge impact. So that's one area where the lack of understanding affects actual policy. We also see in the written policies. You know, when you talked about research, one thing it made me think of is we know all of this research about the benefits of vibrators. They are such an amazing product. They support pain, they support lubrication. There could, I would be so interested to see research on how survivors of rape or sexual violence, how vibrators might support them in their intimacy journeys afterward. Which I know people who have talked about. So there's all these benefits of these products. um, You know, for people post cancer, for people with menopause, for people who might have difficulty with their sexual function, and yet when I want to cite a vibrator study, I have to go back to a 2009 study by um, the Kinsey Institute at University of Indiana because they haven't been able to update the research because they have to do it based on their priorities of where their funding is. And if we had more research about that area, perhaps it would inform the corporate policies at Meta that can see that that is clearly health. And we already have research that it is health. But my point is, Research is an important part of this policy picture. One of the ways that erectile dysfunction ads were allowed to get through is that there's linkages between erectile dysfunction and heart health, which we know from research, which must have been researched you know, since Viagra was created in 1998. Like This research must have been newer. So being able to show the linkages between erectile dysfunction, which does support male pleasure, and other areas of health has allowed them to get it through what are the areas of health for people with vulvas that are, you know, a product might support pleasure, but it might have 20 or 30 other benefits for our health that we need to research on or, you know, some research exists already and we could get more research. So the deaf certainly research and an understanding about health has a role in the policies and practices and on top of the lack of understanding about health, even if the policies were perfect, the companies, which they're not, <laughs> um, but even if you made them the perfect wording with expert involvement from health uh, experts, which is we still need to get to to get closer, then they still have to have their algorithms reflect that and become clear in their processes. And right now, it's much more general that it really seems like whatever has to do with Devolva is at risk of digital discrimination and censorship, even regardless of what the policies or the experts are saying. One of the things that
0: I did recently is I interviewed Dr. Allison Shrikande, who was a guest in season one. And I called her up and I was like, Dr. Shrikande, there are so many startups now working on at-home devices to strengthen your pelvic floor. And I know that I'm assuming that they're going to be somewhat limited in what they can do, because if you're a pelvic floor um, physical therapist, there's probably more manipulation, manual manipulation that you can do in your office. So can you do an episode for me where I'm going to give you a list of all the different ones that I have found online? And I want you to go through the pros and cons of each. Well, when I was doing this research, there were a couple of things that I found on Amazon where I'm like, I am not a doctor, but I can pretty much guarantee this is probably not going to strengthen the pelvic floor. So on the one side, we're being limited by the information we need to know to properly treat us, while on the flip side, we are able to purchase products and Mm. do the search function on Amazon to get something that doctors say probably don't help.
1: Mm. So,
0: okay. Dear algorithm, AI people, how are you going to answer that one?
1: <laughs> mm. Yeah, I mean,
0: right? Like, so now this gets to what are the responsibilities of all of social media for mm. what we can and can't see? Because we see the quick fixes, um, we see you know, information. and But the hard part is there isn't research. So where do we end the line? Mm -hmm. And so clearly this is an obvious one where there are things we know that work and Mm -hmm. women or people with vulvas need to be aware of, and we're not getting that information. Yeah. Then
1: we get the stuff that is, for lack of a better word, crap. There's so many areas that we don't know about the algorithms. And there's a lot of different proposals for greater transparency. It's seen as a business, you know, confidential trade secret, what the algorithms are. And so when it actually comes to policymakers or others in the public being able to shape them, it might be that a court or a state attorney general can subpoena a company or Congress might be able to get some information in, in an investigation. And yet there's other information there they won't be allowed, they might might not be able to get because, it's a black box, what these algorithms look like. And there are other laws and policies that affect where the accountability lies when it comes to content moderation. So we know that content moderation, both in terms of what is, what we can't see and what we do see has a, has a massive impact. And when you talked about the examples of being able to find information that isn't necessarily going to solve a problem being available and yet effective information, effective health products being unavailable in the case of dilators, for example, or or Kegels where they're hidden. We see that a lot with misinformation as well about uh, abortion access. So Google and others, uh, activists have worked on f- when somebody is searching and they're looking for healthcare related to abortion, uh, there's a lot of pr- uh, crisis pregnancy centers that come up that a- might a- appear at first to be providing them with abortion, but then um are not actually health providers of that health information and are collecting their data when somebody goes and uses them. And that data is not protected as health data. And so because it, it's not a health provider, it's a, it's a separate private practice. So their data is being used by crisis pregnant centers, pregnancy centers in ways that the user might not have known or intended when they were really looking for healthcare access. So there is problems with censorship. And then there's also issues of misinformation when someone's looking for healthcare information. There's a law called Section 230 that we have in the U.S. that was created in 1996. Um, It was a part of a broader law where the goal was it was meant to make it so that companies and platforms—this is before Meta—but the companies could moderate content, and it was it was intended to help them be able to moderate content um, without getting in trouble if they didn't moderate it perfectly. But now this law is a shield where, you know, TikTok and Google and and Meta are not responsible for um, the information and content on their platforms. That's very useful for certain free speech goals because if they got sued for everything on their platform, we couldn't have Twitter or Facebook in the way that we have it. But it also makes it so that when there's an egregious issue, it's very hard to hold the platforms liable or if somebody is, you know, Being raped or targeted by something that somebody's seeing on doing on Grindr, it's very the the company Grindr can just use that to be completely negligent because of section because of how they're using Section two thirty. So there's other laws that impact who is liable and what is the role of these broader laws on content moderation when it comes to our lives and how that shows up when it comes to sexual reproductive health. Um, It's a really interesting policy landscape as we all work to figure out how do we how do we have a responsible internet that is, you know, supporting joy and health and safety. And we're all working together, but and the internet and these tools are being created faster than a lot of our lawmakers in Congress can catch up with or understand. So we're still working to create responsible systems and we still have a lot to do. What can we as
0: individuals do? And I'd also like to talk about what you guys are doing next and how we can support you. So from the individual perspective, I will say a part of me, and I know this doesn't have to do with the ads, but um, from the hiding of certain um, posts coming into your feed, I feel like we should all, after the people listening to this episode, go on like all the sexual health hashtags mm-hmm. and follow the heck out of them mm-hmm. and like all the posts like crazy yeah. and share this episode with every single person with a vulva that you know, to also take action on all the things you're going to tell us to do, right? Like, I, I just want this to be loud and, and spread out, or broad reaching, I should say. Um, so tell me what, like, that's my my fantasy, because I'm so frustrated in listening to all of this. But in reality, what what can we as individuals do to help make the transformation?
1: I love that we about the hashtags and all of us taking action in our voices in social media and communications. And, um, before I share about what individuals can do, I also want to highlight what you started to share about some of the wins we've had, because I feel oh, like please. celebrating successes gives us energy to keep going and to be able to see the momentum and that people are listening and our voices are having strength together. So We, I know that, you know, we touched on this meta policy change and we're so excited because after years and years, they did make changes. And just the timeline of this is 2022 Center for Intimacy Justice really had our first public day, you know, action when we released our report on this censorship at meta that was taken on, it was published in the New York Times. And after After that 75 media outlets covered it, but what was exciting was a U.S. Senate committee took on the findings, sent a report to Meta, asked them for all this information, and publicly questioned them in a letter. Hillary Clinton then tweeted about this issue at Senator Patty Murray, who chaired the Senate Help Committee, you know, Asking if there had been an update and saying she knew that Senator Patty Murray would stay on them. We had other actions happen this summer, but there was this great momentum from putting the information out there, from collecting our voices, sharing transparently what was happening with the media in a way that the public or that people in DC in terms of policy didn't know before. So that was so exciting to see that actually lead to some action by Meta just a few months later in October, around October, if not September. On this issue, so we know that when we come together, we can create change. We know that more change is needed, very, very much, and we've seen what it feels like to have a success and to have a collective success. This issue is so about collective action together. We had, you know, people who are our friends in government that, that took this action independently, people in the media who saw the value in this story, and also you know, a man in his seventies was one of the first people to help encourage this issue to be published for center for intimacy justice work in 2019. So we've had lots of allies and there's people that put dollars and funding into making that change happen for what we've seen so far and are funding the next steps. So all of that, the, 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 the financiers, the activists, the individual voices all matter for creating change. So what's next? First of all, We are doing research on other platforms. I mentioned that TikTok has been hugely problematic. I just ran into uh, two entrepreneurs at the conference where you and I, Georgie, met, where these women were just giving me a hug because they didn't know that this was being worked on and their TikTok account has been shut down for many, many months, even though they have 120,000 TikTok followers who they now can't reach because TikTok is blocked. And there's countless educators and entrepreneurs in the same position with TikTok. So we're going to be creating more information and a way that people can join together our voices where we'll illuminate what's happening at 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 least four different of the major tech platforms, Meta being one of them, to keep pushing for changes, keep making our voices heard. We will have a campaign and we'll be introducing hashtags. We have some really great ones we just came up with um, where people can join in and we can share what some of those hashtags will be. I encourage people as well to join the newsletter and join the social media for Center for Intimacy Justice. Um, They can join us online, intimacyjustice.org for our newsletter. And then on social media, we post as Intimacy Justice on Instagram and Twitter and elsewhere. And that's a really great way for people to get news about what's happening. And we'll have actions that people can take when we launch this campaign where individuals, wherever you are, can say, we support these tech platforms making these changes. And we're asking our government officials as well who have enforcement powers over them to take action. So a lot of this work will be through collective campaigns. We invite businesses in that. Um, We have a way of businesses also contributing toward membership um, to help fund and fuel this work and a lot of social media actions to take in making our voices heard. And then the last piece is uh, there's also a role that state attorney, um, attorneys general can play and that the, U.S. Federal Trade Commission can play. Those are two government actors at the state levels and at the federal level where we believe that they have enforcement power where they can get tech platforms, including Meta and others, to make changes. And so we will be calling on the FTC, asking them to take action on this issue and also educating state attorneys general. And if people have introductions or connections or advice on either of those routes, they can also loop in with us on that as well as on legislative efforts. So we invite communication and and partnership in any of those areas, including the government actions and the policy changes.
0: Wow. And what about funding? Do you have – like if people wanted to donate, um, they'd be able to do that as well to continue to support um, – help you with your efforts?
1: Yes. Thank you so much for asking about that. That's a hugely important way that people can make an impact and a difference. All of our work so far has been funded by donations and people that believe in this mission, mission-driven donations that want to see a change. And we have lots of heart and um, a team of many different people men and women working on this issue on our team. So people can donate. Our website is intimacyjustice.org slash donate for that. So individuals can donate. Um, philanthropists can reach out to us. People can donate any size. And then for businesses or organizations or investment organizations, we also have a membership program that will allow people to donate and to be a part of group conversations, um, which other individuals can join as well where we'll really be clearly galvanizing together you know getting galvanizing ourselves in support of change so there's there's membership and opportunities and we welcome donations for everyone and anyone to drive us forward and and love to talk with people about that so thank you for asking about that
0: what i'm hearing then is the action that we need to take as individuals is one obviously we can donate but it seems like it's best to follow you on social media and your website and newsletter to really see the updates on the specific things you're working on and the recommendations you have to everyone on what all we can do as individuals. Because I assume that's going to change over time based on the specific things you're working on.
1: We just invented some new hashtags like um, Facebook doesn't add up with AD for ad, uh, hashtag that or um, hashtag big tech, big bias. We just thought of these like yesterday. Um And others that will – you know, TikTok for for everybody with number four. So we'll have other hashtags that we encourage people to use when posting about this. Um, Keep your algorithms off my body is another hashtag. And so especially – yeah, we really like that one. (laughs) So especially as we um, announce those and encourage those, the newsletter and being a part of – You know the CIJ channels will be a place where we send information to everyone, saying use these hashtags on these dates. This is our campaign. Sign this petition. Go here. So we hope we plan to have many more of those, several more of those actions in the coming months, and we'll be able to announce more. You know, in February and and in 2023 when we have the moments of okay, now let's all get our voices here or. You know, we also welcome celebrities like wearing shirts as they keep your algorithms off my body and speaking out about it because that really helps us increase our collective power in support of driving impact.
0: It's just such an honor to get to connect with you again. I have heard, I've literally been hearing about you for months. And, you know, I was just finally planning for for this season, but then the new, news came out. And so I'm like, forget
1: next season. You're coming on now. Oh <laughs> so Thank you I'm so glad much. that this worked out. I'm so glad. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I love, I love your energy. Um, I'm, I'm so glad that we've
0: met. Oh, absolutely. And feel free to reach out um, if you uh, have anything specific I'm um, personally here for you. I, I'm so passionate about helping women, especially when we're like someone's trying to beat us down and not let us do what we know is right. Totally. So, and like um, from our
1: heart together to uplift that and uplift those barriers away.
0: Yes. And I agree it's collaborative. Like at the um, the Women's Health Innovation Summit. So can I just tell you, I was leading the CEO and Founders Forum. Amazing. And we had this whole discussion around how to run that session. So I had to give like a ten minute, five to 10 minute background. And then we were going to do breakouts and roundtables. And I'm like, I don't know my audience. And that's the number one thing to leading a successful session. I just, all I know is they're CEOs and founders. And I'm like, what if people don't want to share information? What if like They're nervous about someone stealing their IP. I I stood up and I was like, guys, this is our first time doing this. I haven't met you guys as individuals. I know like four people in the room. Um, So let's just try this. And can I tell you what happened? One of the tables, um, first of all, they didn't even want to do the networking. They're like, we want to keep talking at our tables. And then when they came and shared around the room, one of the gentlemen stood up and said, we're creating a WhatsApp group. So that we can continue staying in touch because we learned so much from each other today. So I will tell you, all of these founders are so so passionate about doing the right thing, and so I hope this discussion has um, inspired everyone to take action, including some of these social media outlets. So. Keep doing what you're doing. I bow down to you. Um, you're an incredible woman, and uh, the things you've done are truly amazing. And so, so I'm nice. honored to get to know you, and I hope we stay in touch. You
1: too. And I, everything you said about just honoring each other and those women. I feel like they, you know, you and all of these people in this space and women are uplifting us. You know, rewriting people's lives and. And experiences and helping people with such, such critical and personal and deep and intimate and non-intimate areas of our lives. And so being able to have a role where we're uplifting them and making it possible for them and you to change the world even more through their voices being expressed and not censored is such an honor. I'm so honored and grateful to be in this fight with you. And I'm so excited for all the next steps and all the actions that we're going to take together and really appreciate your support in rallying this amazing audience that's listening and um, all of your support and heart toward this. So we have a lot to do and we're excited to work with you. Thank you so much, Jackie.